Good morning. The scripture this morning from Matthew 14, 22 to, 20, to 33, tells us about Jesus. Immediately, he made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. As we reflect on that scripture this morning, I invite you to to pray with me and for me as we listen to what God has to say to us today. Let us pray. Holy God, we come to you this morning, Lord, with our hearts longing to join yours, to be a part of your divine plan unfolding in our lives. But Lord, so many times we hold back. Our fears, our doubts, our limitations, Lord, keeps us from joining you, joining your work in the troubled places of today, of our world. So we pray, Lord, that as we revisit the scripture, which may be familiar to many of us, that you would open our hearts and minds to listen to you anew, and that you would help us, Lord, through the power of your spirit to take steps to make commitments of faithfulness, to not be afraid, and to step right where Jesus is. We pray this prayer with open hearts and open minds today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we find ourselves the second Sunday of Lent in our Wondering Heart series, again on the Sea of Galilee. We've come a long way. We're in Mark chapter 14 from Simon Peter's call story last week. We are moving through this season, if you're just joining us, and studying how our hearts are very much sometimes like Peter's as we're encountering the disciple Simon Peter, and our hearts wonder, and they stray a bit, and we always don't get things right, and we're looking to encouragement from the gospel story as we look clearly at a life of someone who was really human, but also made a tremendous difference in transforming the world and leading the church and ultimately blessing us as we've come into this faith. So we're back at the Sea of Galilee. 
Uh, just before this, if you're reading Matthew's gospel, which we've commended to you in the season up until Easter, uh, just before this, Jesus has fed the 5,000. So a major miracle occurs. We know it's more than 5,000 because they just counted the men in the day. So he's fed the more than 5,000 from just a little boy's lunch, as we know the gospel story. Jesus has, has shown the people gathered that when we give what we have, even if it's something small, that Jesus has the potential to multiply that and bless it in ways that go beyond our ability to ever imagine or understand. So that has just happened we know from the way the gospel writers tell the story, all four gospels tell the story of the feeding of the 5,000, that there was food left over from that lunch, and the disciples were a part of, of gathering up the baskets of food that was left, evening's coming, but if you notice in Matthew's telling of the story, Jesus is the one who stays back to dismiss the crowd. He sends the disciples, Matthew writes, immediately on into the boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus stays to dismiss the crowds to kind of hang out, that puts the disciples in the boat with a sense of timing that Jesus is anticipating something. And then Jesus moves from the dismissal of this crowd and this great miracle scene to go to a mountain nearby to pray through the night. And as we enter into the story, I want you to, to think about the context. Jesus has, again, done this miracle. He's trying to show them God's power and, and what it means to just have that faith of the mustard seed that he preaches about, right? But something in his spirit has prompted him to, to go and pray through the night. We can learn so much from Jesus in terms of when we face challenge that, that Jesus himself turns to the spiritual disciplines and he prays. So Jesus pulls away from the 12. He goes to pray through the night and a storm ensues. The men are out on the water. What we know is that this journey that they were going to make to where they end up probably should have taken them two and a half or three hours in the boat. But Jesus has put them in the boat to go across just past the evening meal. He dismissed the crowd so they could get home before nighttime. So they'd enter into their journey before nighttime. Then the storm comes and when they see Jesus coming out on the water, it's early morning, Matthew says. So this journey has taken a super, super long time. The storm has a headwind, we hear. And so they're, they're up against it. I flew from Phoenix this week um, back to here, uh, back into Reagan from a conference I was attending for the church. And we had a tailwind. We left behind schedule. And with that tailwind, we caught up coming across Headwind does just, the diff just different, right? They're struggling against the headwind. What we know if you're doing the story with us about Simon Peter is that they traveled in these big wooden boats about 20-some feet long. The boat probably had a mast, but when it's storming, you put the mast down and you go to oaring. And most of the boats of the size that that number of people would have been in would have had four oars. And so you've got four people rowing against a headwind in the storm. When I was on the Sea of Galilee last, I asked the guy who was driving our boat, it was a really pretty sunny day, I said, how bad do the storms really get on this lake that we call the Sea of Galilee? And he said, ma'am, I've seen five or six foot waves out here. He said, this, this little sea can really, with wind, it can really stir up. So in a, a smaller wooden boat, 
rowing with a headwind. You're supposed to get there in two and a half or three hours. You've been out there all the night. You can kind of enter into the scene of where these disciples were this evening in the early morning hours. They don't know the depth of the sea that they're in. They know the sea really well. They fish it, right? They only know how long their, their nets will let out, and they know that the depth is well beyond their nets, well beyond their ropes. That's like 140-some feet at its at greatest depth. But they don't know how deep this tumultuous storm is. And there's a lot of superstition also about, you know, what has happened to, to sailors and fishermen over the years when they've gone under out there. So there's superstition. They're out there during the night. The storm just keeps battering them. Jesus is off from them. And in the early morning hours, here comes Jesus walking over that storm, walking through the waves. You can see some artist depictions of the scene on the screen. He's walking towards them. And in what they've gone through all night long, Matthew tells us they're terrified. They, they cry out in fear. And very much like Peter's call story, the, the call story of the disciples last week with Simon Peter, Jesus responds to them and he says this. He says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So Jesus is coming toward them, figuring that they've taken all that they can, and he tells them not to be afraid as they are terrified. And then, then, Simon Peter, our, our focus of our, our, our study in the season, Simon says to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I think sometimes we miss that in the story. He doesn't just jump out of the boat. He checks with Jesus to see if it's okay. He said, Lord, if it's you, command me. And Jesus doesn't hesitate in Matthew's telling of the gospel. Jesus says, come, come, come right to where I am. And so Peter steps out onto the water and he walks toward Jesus, Matthew tells him. Now, we also know from the story that that storm is still going on at this point. The storm doesn't stop until Jesus gets to the boat. And Peter gets frightened and begins to sink. And Jesus saves him. He pulls him out. Now, I'll say that you've probably heard, maybe if you've been in church for a while, a lot of sermons on this. And, and we focus on, on Peter's mishaps here. Oh, we didn't have the faith. He, he took his eyes off Jesus. He, he sank, and he did. But let's look at it a little bit more closely this morning. First, I want you to look at it from the perspective of those in the boat. Peter, Peter is the only one, the only one of this 12 who wants to be a part of whatever Jesus is doing as he's got that storm under control under his feet. Peter is the one who speaks to Jesus and says, Lord, if that's you, then I want to be next to you, whatever you're doing out here. So can I come? And Jesus says, come. The other 11, in their comfort, in their fear, in whatever they're feeling in that moment, Scripture says they're terrified, all of them, they stay in the boat. They stay there. And we spend a lot of time as we pull this apart, I think, beating up on, on poor Peter. I had something happen to this a little bit similar to me when I was a kid. I, I grew up on the water. I grew up boating and fishing and water skiing, mostly with my dad, but with a lot of family. And there was one day that dad and I were out fishing in the daytime. 
in this fishing boat, and the wind came up a little bit, and Dad says, I think we need to get closer into shore. We were out in the deep water, and he said, let's pull up anchor. And so his boat had an anchor on the back and an anchor on the front, and I was on the back of the boat, and Dad said, you know, pull up anchor on the back, and he started reeling in the anchor on the front, and I started reeling in the anchor on the back, and I'd done this a bunch of times. I'm like 10 years old. I'd done this with my dad a lot of times. So I'm reeling the anchor in, but I'm noticing as the anchor gets closer to the surface that it's behaving different. It's spinning in a weird way, and I said, Dad, something's wrong with the anchor, and he's just kind of looking from where he is on the front of the boat, and I realize as it gets pretty close to the boat that it's coming untied, that the anchor is coming loose from its knot. And me and my 10-year-old self at about 50 pounds or whatever, I jump up on the side of the boat, and I'm ready to dive in after the anchor when I feel this hand come and jerk me back into the boat by my shirt, and it was my dad. He pulled me literally down, and he said, what are you doing? The anchor went on to the bottom of the lake. He said, I can get a new anchor, but I can't get a new you. And he said with me, and and what felt like he was angry at me at the time, he said, you have to think. You have to think. Dad gets back at the the helm of the boat and takes us on into shore. And I'm sitting there and I felt embarrassed. I'm 10. Oh, man, I must have done something really, really wrong. He said, you could have drowned. That anchor would have taken you under the boat if you dove in and caught it. And I, I sat and thought about that. And as we got closer to shore, like, dad's right. He just saved my life. Dad taught me a lot. He taught me in that moment not to be so impulsive, which is what I was doing. And he taught me something about my value in the same moment. Now, as, as Peter steps out and he's walking and then he senses that fear and he starts to sink. And, the, and Matthew says Jesus immediately pulls him back. We hear Jesus once he gets him over into the boat and the storm stops. We hear Jesus in what's almost like we say that Jesus is chewing Peter out. He says, why did you doubt? You have such little faith. I want to think that Peter's not being chewed out right there. I think it's really very much like what my dad was doing when I was getting ready to go in after a heavy anchor. I think he's saying, you have this power. You were walking on water. You need to realize what you have, Peter. Don't doubt. Have faith. Matthew quickly goes on to say that all the disciples worship Jesus from that point. Jesus saves him. Jesus corrects him. Jesus puts him back on that path to worship him and to understand who he is. To understand, most importantly, what he is a part of, what Peter is a part of. Now, as you think about this context today, this context of of Peter and the disciples in the boat and the storm with Jesus, I want you to think about where you are relative to Jesus right now in your life, in this world that we live in that we say is all too stormy, right? There's so much going on. Where are you? Are you in that place where... Jesus is calling, Jesus is at work in the midst of the storm. He's doing stuff that we're not sure. Peter wasn't sure what he was doing out on the water, and we're ready to go right to where he is. 
Or are you hesitant? Are you back in the boat just holding back? Fearful, frustrated, tired, weary, not trusting, maybe not having enough faith? Peter's faith, his passion for Jesus, that's what Jesus uses. That's what God uses in Peter. As we study him, I hear that there were some study books found. So if you still want one of the Simon Peter study books, Carol's got some of those out um, in, the, in the gathering space this morning. She found a few more this morning. I said we're out of them, but we actually have a few. So if you're not studying this, I commend the study by Adam Hamilton. It's very good. It looks at this context deeply. As you look at the life of Peter, what we see is it's his faith, his willingness to be right where Jesus is. Does he get it right always? No. Do we get it right always? No. But what the story says is Jesus, one of the things is Mark's narrative as he says so much about setting this up is he shows us that Jesus comes right into the storm where we are. And he has some control over it and he has a plan. But when we mess up and we make a misstep, he's there to rescue us from the danger that's around. If we're trying to be faithful, if we're trying to step in the direction of Jesus, then he's right there like my dad was. To correct a little bit, to provide that that moment of teaching, and to send us back out to serve in faithfulness. Yeah, his fear took over for a few minutes. But Jesus and God is not at work in us to say, you messed up, and so I'm done with you. Sometimes we feel that. We let our shame from our past mess-ups or our past unfaithfulness keep us in the boat. Or we step out once and we don't want to step out again because it didn't work out exactly the way that we thought. But our gospel today shows us that Jesus is going to be there with compassion prompting us and moving us to a place where we can still praise him and he can still use us. Faithfulness, commitment. Now, we're getting close to Easter, folks. You've heard about Easter baskets already. We're in this countdown. We begin a countdown in a journey of faithfulness that we set us for the whole year called Encounter Jesus. And if you're new with us, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this. And if you're not, I'm going to remind you of Encounter Jesus and this thing we call the Big Dare to make a commitment this year to worship and grow and serve and give and share our faith in deeper ways. And we're doing this across both of our campuses. And we gave you, as a congregation, some commitments to strive toward in the season up until Easter. Easter is the 31st. 31st of March, so we're at a month and four days out from the celebration of Easter. And I want you to think about how you're doing. We started in January as we remembered the baptism of Jesus, and we remembered our baptism. We started saying, let's step up in these traditional core commitments of our faith that's been a part of our denominations and other denominations, frankly, and a part of the core commitments here at Flores for a long time. Let's step up in these. And we said, hey, let's be in worship once a week. 
And let's try to pray five times a day. And, and we explain that as just starting your day with some prayers of thanks or asking God to be present in your day and to pray at your meals through the day and find a time in the evening to ask for some blessing of God. And then as you close your day, give God thanks for how the day has been and ask for God's guidance for the next day. However you do that of forming your day and forming your week around worship around worship, whether you're in person or online. We ask you to join a life group and a study, and we ask you to read the Gospel of Matthew up until this season of Easter. So you've still got time if you're saying, I just haven't done that, I forgot. You've got time to do it. If you've been studying it, stay in it and let the Gospel speak to you through this time until Easter. We ask you to step up and serve, to join a ministry team internally and externally, and to look for five service opportunities up until Easter. And many of you have been living into much of this. We ask you to, you said you were challenged when we did a little survey to share your faith. To talk about your faith story with others. And not only do that, but to invite people to church activities. To invite them to something at Florist Restoration before Easter and to do that with five people in some way. We ask you to give generously to the ministries of the church and we ask you to show random acts of kindness, at least five random acts of kindness throughout the week. Now, I, I come back to this commitment because this is the way we get close to where Jesus is. These are some of the, the, the levers that we know that we can pull to say, uh, when we're living in this way and we're thinking about Jesus and we're learning about Jesus and we're serving in the way of Jesus and we're just immersed in his way, then the world around us begins to change as people encounter Jesus as we are encountering Jesus. If you're new with us, I, I encourage you to consider taking this dare and to begin living into it because we're going to talk about it all year long. Now, as I look at those five, let's go ahead and put that back up on the screen. I want to say that we're doing really well with some of these things, folks. I think our most recent hosting of Guest House, as I've looked around and talked to people who are serving here in Guest House, tells me that you're stepping up and serving. We had new people serving. I met some people the first, for the first time as I walked around, as they were stepping up to serve this week. And some of you are serving in so many different ways. You're, you're stepping up and you're stepping out. You're stepping up to grow. We've got a lot of people enrolled in our churchwide studies right now, and that's an amazing thing. You've already told us that you're, you're challenged a little bit and sharing your faith and inviting to church, but you're working on that. You tell me you're working on that. I tell you that the Easter season before us is a great way to step up with that because people look for a church to go to in the Easter season and you've got a great one. So you've got a lot of opportunities over the next few weeks to do that. In worshiping, some of you are telling me like, I'm really working on this. And then when we look at some of the metrics, I'll say that's one of the places that we're struggling is that our attendance and worship is beginning to dip a little bit with the first of the year. So I want to push on you a little bit and say, try to be present because this community of praising and prayer and being in God's word together and interacting in things like the big serve that we're going to do today, it makes a difference in your life. It makes a difference in other people's lives too. I'll, I'll share just one example from me last week. We're having communion most of the Sundays of Lent, too. And last week I was down here in the, in the wonderful privilege that we have in serving communion. And I'm serving communion. And I'm looking back in the aisle and I see one of our older couples coming down the aisle together. And they're coming down together kind of arm in arm. And they're smiling at one another as they're coming to receive communion. And I just paused as a moment as I looked at them. 
And I thought, man, I hope that's Bert and I one day coming together to receive the Lord's Supper in joy. That couple, they had no idea. They were just coming forward to be blessed and excited to be coming. They inspired me. I was like, man, I want to be like them when I'm that age. I want to just be ready to have my hands out and come and receive. When you're in worship, and I would say this for the chat stream as well, for you online, look for ways to encourage one another. Because you never know when somebody else, even the pastor, is inspired by your presence here and what you're doing in this place. Just one example. Someone else needs to see your smile. Someone else needs to see you being hospitable and friendly and exercising your disciplines in the faith in this place. So I I challenge you to lean in there. Another area where we're seeing some of the metrics kind of trickle off, you saw that we we were given in generosity from our Christmas Eve offering. That's great, but some of our general giving and some of our estimates of giving for this year have trickled down a little bit. So in that give category, in our generosity, I just want to tell you that we're, we're having a stretch. We're working on setting our budget now as leaders, and I want to encourage you toward generosity. Because the way that we bless near and far, the way that we engage in a vital ministry together is when our generous hearts come together. So there are places where we're doing well. There's places where I want to call you this morning to step out of the boat, to get beyond your fear, to go and to be willing to to be right where Jesus is, right where Jesus is, to be not just present with a a vow that you're going to click off or something that we're saying we're doing in church, but to let your heart be shaped by Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us to faithfulness. It's that simple. He calls us to faithfulness, to trust him with our life. With our life. To follow him in that faith, to live in a faith when when it seems like it might be kind of easy. And also when it seems like it's scary. It seems like we're not sure what's happening with Jesus out there, but Jesus is saying, come, and we just go, and we stand alongside him, and we offer ourselves to his grace and protect, protection. We say, Lord, I just want to be right where you are. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be someone that people said lived a comfortable life. I want to be someone that that can be looked at and and people say, God called her to go and she went. God called her to love as much as she could and she did. God called her to, to extend grace and she tried her best. She wasn't perfect, but she tried her best. John Wesley, and he has a work where he describes what the people of Methodism should be. It's called The Character of a Methodist. You might want to look it up and read it. The language is a little bit difficult because it's an old language. But Wesley says of Methodists, he says that we as Methodists should have hearts like this. He says, there is not a motion in his, and I'll say her heart, but that is not according to his will, to Jesus' will. Every thought that arises points to him and in obedience to the law of Christ. I want to be moving toward that motion. Friends, all of us need to live a more committed life. And wouldn't it be great that there's not a motion within our heart that isn't 
constant with Jesus, with Jesus' call, with Jesus' commands, with Jesus' purpose, with his divine will for our lives, to move always in the direction of Jesus, even when we're scared. It takes faith. It takes commitment. It takes moving outside of our comfort zone. I'll remind you that last week as we talked about Simon Peter and his call story, Peter's out there in the shallow water with Jesus in the boat, and Jesus says, let's go out into the deep, drop a line, you know, let's, let's go drop the net and see if we can catch something. And Peter doesn't even want to go out in the deep water. He doesn't even want to put his net down in the deep water. He kind of argues against Jesus. Well, if you say so, we will, Lord. And he does. That same Peter walks on that deep water in the storm in today's text. An encounter with Jesus changes you. It fundamentally changes you from the inside out. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see a people of God joining together in that encounter. It's a beautiful thing to see people take those kinds of steps of faith. That's not just a faith of the disciples of old, it's a faith of the disciples of the now. And so, as we journey together in this Lenten season, as we journey together in this larger focus of encountering Jesus, I invite you to take some steps and see where it will take you. Thanks be to God. Amen.